Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so we're going to be continuing on our miniature series, if you like, on dealing with strongholds. And I want to turn to a scripture by way of introduction, and it's found in Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10. God speaking to Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I have this day set you over. Now, interesting thing he says, I set you over, and it's all about elevation. It's all about dominion and taking authority over spiritual powers. But he set him over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, number one, to pull down, number two, to destroy, number three, to throw down, number four, to build and to plant. How many of you know that sometimes it's difficult to build things and plant things until you have rooted out, pulled down, destroyed, and thrown down? You've cleared the section, you've cleared the premise, you've swept out the garage before you can put the vehicle inside. You know what I'm saying now? But the natural speaks of the spiritual. The Bible says whatever is of flesh is flesh, but whatever is of spirit is spirit. And it gives us an indication or an understanding of what God is talking about. And uh, I want to talk about the area of strongholds. And I want to say this, that God has given us a sound mind. You understand that? It's part of your inheritance, soundness of mind and also soundness of emotions. When you have a sound mind, you begin to make good decisions that create great outcomes. When you're broken in your mind and broken in your emotions and soul, decisions always come out of emotions and decisions come out of our thinking. And when we're crippled or handicapped in our emotions or our mind, our perspective in life is a little bit crooked. It's a little bit, it's not aligned. It's not in harmony with rightness or soundness. And what God wants to do is give us a sound mind and our emotions to be healed and made whole. I've often said it, that we should have a vision for wholeness. God is in the business of restoring people. You remember the uh, illustration in Mark, a very true story, talks about a Gadarene demoniac. The Bible doesn't give us his name. A Gadarene demoniac. And that would be like saying uh, the demon of Tupapa or the demon of Arangi. Arangi. Uh, that's, how, that's how we uh, know this guy. He was demonized. Or the Bible says he was demon-possessed. And this is, gives us a description of what happened to this guy. We don't know his age. We don't know where he's from. We don't know his genealogy. All we know, he, he was riddled or possessed with demonic entities inside his soul. And, uh, and the Bible says that he roamed the hills day and night. He would cry out day and night, cry out and scream out day and night. And he would often cut himself with sharp objects day and night. And the Bible says he was naked. And he was living amongst the tombs or the cemetery, a place of death. And, uh, and so, so he would cry, but Jesus crosses the other side and Jesus begins to set him free. The demonic spirit in the gathering demoniac, this is what he says. He says, what do we have, what do I have to do with you, 
Holy One of Israel, have you come to torment us before our time? In other words, eternity. Demonic spirits understand there is a judgment on them and they will go into the second death, which is the lake of fire in our future, which will be the implementation of the work of the cross at Calvary, where God made Satan a public spectacle and dealt with the powers of darkness. Amen. And uh, that's great news for you and I. So today we are going to begin to walk in the liberty. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And so the interesting thing that goes on, when Jesus set him free, the Bible says he was seated. This is the, this is the guy. He's no longer roaming, no longer cutting himself, no longer screaming out. He says he was seated, number one. He was clothed, number two. And you ready for this? In his right mind in his right mind. Now, this is how it works. God at the cross prophetically set everybody free, the whole of the world, actually. That's the provision, every one of us. We have to implement the work. Sometimes God sets people free at conversion, but sometimes in the context of our our walk in Christ, God begins to heal us or deliver us. You could be sick as a non-Christian and you get born again, you're still sick. So you bring the cancer into your Christian context or your Christian walk and God heals you as a Christian now, okay? So sometimes demons are left in the land for us to deal with. Uh, you got to understand that sometimes, in other words, it's not uh, just rolled out for us at the cross. God has given us tools. He's given us spiritual equipment to actually overcome the powers of darkness. All right, so that's very important. But I love it. I love the scripture. It says he was in his sound mind. How many of you would love a sound mind in every aspect this morning? Praise the Lord. Well, let's give God a hand for providing us for sound minds. And <laughs> that would be nice. Defining a stronghold is like this. A stronghold is a spiritual fortification in the mind. It's made up of demonic beliefs, which it strongly defends and strongly upholds. Uh, A demonic spirit or a stronghold, should I say, has been built in opposition to and in resistance to the kingdom of God. It is at war with God's ways his wisdom, his will, and his word. A stronghold is ultimately designed to rob the joy of peace and prevent the influence of God's word having impact in line with Satan's mandate and job description found in John 10.10, which it says to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mandate. Now, the scripture text that we're going to base this a little bit on is found in Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians, where it says, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul writes this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, okay? So they're not natural weapons. When we're dealing with spiritual problems, we need a spiritual solution. But they are mighty, or another word is powerful, and forceful in God. How about this now? Number one, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge or the wisdom of God, bringing thought 
every thought into captivity or submission to the obedience of Christ. You notice there's a few words in there that are of interest to us today. It's talking about pulling down and casting down. It's exactly the same kind of terminology that God gave the prophet uh, uh, Jeremiah in dealing with a certain people group and dealing with principalities that resided over a territory. That's the same thing. Uh, but 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 here here what we've got to understand is this: this first identifies what a stronghold consists of. Because sometimes we think, well, what I understand a stronghold is like a fortress, or it's like a, a foxhole, or it's like a bunker. Uh, but you know what it what what the Bible says is it has arguments. Interesting. Interesting, casting down arguments. So every stronghold that there is around your life, a stronghold of rejection, a stronghold of pride, a stronghold of jealousy, a stronghold of insecurity, a stronghold of maybe resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness, behind every stronghold imaginable in Satan's entourage is arguments that underpin it, that give it value, that give it strength. Okay, so in other words, there are lies and there are arguments. Another way that I could put that would be there. There is justifications. Okay, how many of you know that unforgiveness can be justified? Come on, how many of you know we can sometimes justify greed? How many of you have ever justified selfishness? How many of you justified telling a lie? You tell one lie to cover up another lie. Uh, Did you know that murder can be justified? Domestic violence can be justified. How many of you know uh, the liquidation of a people group or genocide? It's just the Third Reich justified genocide because they were full of an ideology or concepts and ideas and uh, to stuff out a portion of the human race. But I want to say this, behind every sin there's an argument like that that we begin to justify in our non-repenting condition. We justify the reason why we stole or the reason why we dishonored our teachers, or the reason why we've got a critical spirit, or the reason why I drink like I do, or the reason why I'm into uh, bondage or pornography is because of this reason. And what happens, it's an argument, you ready, that exalts itself above the knowledge, or the other word is wisdom. So it actually exalts itself above the wisdom of God's Word. In other words, actually the argument, it contends with righteous living. It contends with the wisdom that is in the Word of God. Now the other area that it says there, pulling down, you ready, every high thought, every high thing, that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. What's a high thing? A high thing is an opinion. It's my opinion. It's my thinking, independent spirit. This is what God says. This is what I say. This is what God says. This is what I say. This is what the devil says. And an opinion or a high place in our thinking, we're more in line, you ready for this, with Satan's perspective and Satan's will and prognosis for our life than we are the, the wisdom, the release, and the liberty and found in the cross or found in the Word of God. And that's where Joshua comes on the scene and says, who are you going to serve? Remember? As for me, I will serve God as for me in my household. And so we see that a stronghold in inherently is the mechanisms of it is built up on arguments arguments this is the reason 
why I am like I am. This is the reason I do what I do. And yet it flies in the face of your destiny in Christ and God's written word. It also has high thoughts and high imaginations, like superior thoughts. There's a better way. Let's not listen to God's voice. Now, we would never say that because we're lovely people, but we live like that. And that's like an independent spirit. When you find that there's sin in our life or a bondage, you will find it comes off a breeding ground of self-will, a breeding ground of independence that kind of undergirds it. But definitely, if we understand that a, a stronghold is made up of those two things, I think that's important for us. Okay, so let's look at some strongholds this morning. Some of you will resonate with this and identify. There is the stronghold of rejection and inferiority. Okay, there are strongholds of doubt and unbelief where you just can't believe God's Word. You struggle to actually trust God, but it's more than just a temptation. It's actually a reoccurring strong point in your head that's kind of established itself. When God comes God prophesies through the prophets. It's kind of like immediately a wall comes up of unbelief and doubt. Then there's another area of unforgiveness. Uh, the interesting thing about unforgiveness is that it basically we come to a place where we can't forgive. We come to a place where we will not forgive. Respectfully, I want to say welcome to hell. Seriously, unforgiveness is such a bad deal. It's a classic eternity uh, stopper because if we live in the realm of unforgiveness, Jesus says, if you don't forgive man, how can I forgive you? How can the Father in heaven forgive you? So forgiveness is really important. There are strongholds of jealousy where we compare ourselves with everybody else. We compete with others. They do things right and kind of like the, 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 the glory goes on them and the shine goes on them. We feel this internal rejection, but if something spawns up within us, something comes like a jealous, a jealousy. There's like a selfish ambition can be a stronghold where we've got to compete in life and perform in life for recognition, but it's subsists. It's just more than a little temptation. It's reoccurring and it dominates us. It controls our life. Then we've got areas of confusion of mind. We just can't comprehend. We think we're dumb. We think we're not intelligent. We're not intellectual or academic. And we talk like that, you see. But when someone talks to you, it's kind of like there's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of comprehension and like forgetfulness around that, that surrounds that area. That's a stronghold of confusion. It's actually more common than we think. There's areas of bitterness and resentment. There's areas of irritations, just irritated irritated all the time and you're on your edge all the time and somebody eats something and, and it makes a noise and, and it's just like, you're just like, oh my goodness, shut up and it's horrible. and that I understand that. There's like irritation. We get irritated all the time. Now you can get irritated because you're tired and it's just on your edge or you're under stress and you need a bit of a, a clear view around your life. That's one thing. But when you're constantly irritated with people and it robs you of joy, it robs you of peace, you have a bondage. <laughs> Amen? Okay. And then we have lust. We have perversion. And that uh, floods our minds with sexual fantasy, and we can't get it out. It's one thing to be tempted from the outside in, but we feel like this is driving from the inside, and we can't get these imaginations. And you must understand is that the Bible talks about in John, uh, James, it says, there is the wisdom of this world is, first of all, earthly, 
And then it graduates. It goes soulish or sensual. It graduates into the demonic. So what starts off innocent has a life of its own. It begins to grow an internal monster around our mind. Before you know it, it's a bondage of rejection. We can't look at a girl straight anymore without having these perverse thoughts and imaginations that rob you. In fact, it's got such a life of its own. You don't even want those thoughts. But it's like excessive disorder in the mind that you can't dethrone. You want it out and you'll do all things to distract your mind it's like a tormenting spirit very 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 common and uh, when we get into pornography in those areas of pornography you get into pornography but pornography gets into you it has a life of its own it actually demonized part of our soul that we cannot overcome it we need the power of Christ's liberty racial pride cultural pride sectarianism where that thing just grows up, and sometimes it's hereditary, grows up where we actually despise or we look low at another race because they have a different color or they eat different food and we mock and we, we, we ridicule and jeer them and all that sort of stuff because they're different. That's a stronghold. Those strongholds reside over some people groups. They despise other nations, but it's a stronghold. Sometimes it's taught, but sometimes it becomes like a, a stronghold. A stronghold of tiredness, fatigue, and worrisomeness, where we're just down, we're depressed. And uh, every, I, I've met these people, you encourage them, and it only sort of lasts for about 10, 15 minutes, and then they begin to speak negativity again. I thought, man, I've just spent a good pound of energy in encouraging you, and now you're down again. Only at least give me a couple of days on it. But no, it's 10, 15 minutes later because they're interpreting. Uh, their life through this emotion of defeat, this motion of, of, of a sense of hopelessness and lack of breakthrough that I'm stuck and I'll, I'll never be able to push through. There is the, uh, how about this one? There's a, there's a spirit of uh, lies and deception that twists things around. I've had people say to me, you know when you said this, and I think, and I just said it like five minutes ago, and I thought, no, hang on one moment. I didn't say that you need to read my lips. What I said was this. But the rejection, the insecurity does the interpretation. It sees a perspective. You, you understand that? It actually has a perspective. So by the time I'm talking to you, I've had people say, I've, I've preached a message in the church like this, and I've had people say, and it's got back to me, he must know everything about me. No, that's the Spirit of God speaking, but they kind of think like this. No, someone's told the pastor about my life, and he's geared up the service and the sermon, especially to target me. They feel like they've been singled out, and it's like a spirit inside of them that begins, that begins to do the talking. Now remember, a stronghold, you know what it does? It puts suggestions in our mind. What would it be like married to him? What would it be like married to her? And you are already married. That's like a spirit of adultery. That's how that thing works. It works through imagination. So you have mental images, mental pictures. It also is, comes like conversations in the first person. Every now and then I have this thinking on the island here. It comes like this. Um, uh, I feel sick. I'll be just walking down the road or walking whatever it is, and there's these strong words, strong words that I've identified does not come from the Spirit of God, and it does not come from my human soul. It's an outward force. Speaks in the first person, I am sick, hoping that I will say, yeah, yeah that's right, I, I, I feel sick. And then there's a pathway, okay? How about things like this? You should go out with him. 
He's the one that's paying you attention. I know he's not Christian guy, but he'd be the best fit for you right now. And it comes once and you resist it. It comes twice, you resist it. It comes third, fourth, fifth time seeking to wear you down, but you never resisted it. And now you're beginning to entertain it, which we're going to talk about in just a moment of time. And it becomes a monster in the mind. And we're now subject. The Bible says whatever we're subject to, we are a slave of. We're coming under its influence. And I hazard a guess, respectfully, most people in this room, if we're completely honest, have some form of bondage around our life that does the speaking to us, that puts impressions, imaginations in our mind that actually robs us from the fundamental peace that Christ has wrought for us at the cross of Calvary. The devil gains his dominance through our submission. The Word of God says we're to submit to God, resist and repel the devil, and he will flee. But unfortunately, when we don't resist those outward forces, they begin to take a residence around our thinking. Very, very important for us to understand. Another way of looking at it would be like this. And I just want to say this. Uh, uh, demonic spirits and strongholds actually energize us. The Bible talks about Satan, who's the prince of the power of this age, and then it says this, he is like the ruler, but it says that, that he is at work in the children of disobedient. The word work there means to energize. So he's at work energizing. There's a spirit that energizes. I want to say jealousy energizes people. Worry. How many of you have been up at nighttime and you've been worried? Or you've been anger. Does anger energy? You know, pride and greed gives people energy, but that's what it does. Now, the thing to consider here is, is a way to look at it this way. A stronghold's a little bit like a house. A house. It may help us to identify it a bit easier. It's like a house. Jesus referred to a house. In Mark 3.27, he said, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds or renders ineffective. The Bible says, what if you bind on earth is bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. Somebody said, can we loose things? Yes, because remember Jesus went around and he said, he said to the woman, be thou loosed. She had an infirmity spirit by Satan. The Bible says 18 years we can bind. We understand that. But it's rendering the powers ineffective. I bind you in Jesus Christ's name. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and he can plunder the goods. Jesus deliberately uses the term house to talking about spiritual warfare and the residence of the enemy. Now let's look at the scripture. He also follows it up in Matthew 12, 29. The demon had been cast out, Jesus tells the story, and it begins to wander through dry or arid places. It goes for a season and it couldn't find any rest. And then it says to myself, I shall go back to my house and I will bring seven more demons more worse than I am and the state of the person will be worse off. Seven stands for in the Bible, finished work, like a completed work. Seven demons. I don't think there's a coincidence in that. Jesus, was up. what he was saying is, is actually going to complete it off. He's going to finish that guy off. That was the agenda, according to John 10, 10, still kill and destroy a soul's life. But the demon, the Bible says this, I will return to my house from which I have come. The enemy 
comes around our life and it sits, it does sit like a house. Now, the funny thing about a house is this, a house has rooms, okay? Every house, if you've got a house, I'm sure even if you've got one room, it's either going to be the toilet or the bathroom, but a house essentially, it has multiple rooms. And that when Jesus talks like this, God is God, and he, uh, when he explains things like this, there's no coincidence, there's purpose behind his words. Words were never wasted. If you understand when Jesus talks, they were never wasted with him. And so, like we visit when we're down, when we're discouraged and we're feeling a low, we begin to often visit the room of, if you've got a lustful spirit stronghold, when you're down, we begin to want to get, get up in our soul, our emotions. So we begin to go into that room where we commit uh, indecencies and uh, all sorts of sexual activity where you are wanted, okay? Uh, uh, a stronghold of pride, for example, you visit that room when you're down or even when you're really up and you have fantasia or fantasy where all of a sudden you're the president of America giving orders to a nation or you're some great movie star or you're some uh, you know, pop musician singing in front of thousands and thousands of others. And, but that, that, that's, you're visiting rooms. That's what you're doing. You're visiting a room of fantasy. It's a stronghold. It's an argument. It's an opinion. We're justifying it. I'm just, just getting out there a little bit. No, but over a period of time, when we get discouraged, we begin to visit these rooms. These rooms begin to create a strength hold, a stronghold around our imagination that begins to break. Um, when you are disgusted with yourself, some people carry a self-loathing spirit, like a self-hatred or a self-disgust, and you punish yourself. I've met people like this, and they go into the room. They go into the room, and they begin to do things to their bodies. Uh, that, aren't, that aren't gracious, <laughs> that aren't godly, but they're punishing themselves because they have uh, been subject to things that have been shocking in their own life. And the natural expression is to go and suit with that and begin to do these kinds of things. Um, so, these, the, so these are the things we're looking at. A stronghold really serves to, uh, to actually rob us of peace, rob us of joy, and it serves to distract us. A stronghold will enslave us. It will oppress us. It will shame us. It will embarrass us. If only the pastor knew what I was thinking. If only my wife knew what I was, what's going through my mind. If only my girlfriend understood what was going through my mind. These things, they begin to attack us. They draw us deeper. They defile us. They make us grubby, stain and pollute our mind and stain and pollute our conscience. The stronghold tries to remember, if you can remember this, they try to fool us every time with a justification so that they can rule us every time. How stronghold starts, I've listed two ways. There are more than this, but two ways are like a hereditary, uh, a hereditary way. Sometimes you'll see sexual spirits coming down the line in children. They flirt, and we think, oh, my goodness, but something's been awakened. They've never been abused or anything like that, and they haven't seen any, uh, they haven't been exposed to pornography. No, it's hereditary spirits, and that demon, that unclean spirit has come down the line in the soul of the mother or the father, and it's come down, it's resident in the young girl. And it's, 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 it, then the next minute, she's doing stuff that's well, it's not even hit puberty yet. And you wonder what's going on in that girl's life. They try and shove them in front of psychologists and, or try and normalize it or try and restrain them. But I'm telling you, you are dealing with a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. Sometimes these kids, if you met kids that have got incredible arrogance, it's just like, wow. 
but then you meet the parents. <laughs> but sometimes what I want to submit to you and present is sometimes it's hereditary. Okay, I, I believe I was brought up or born with hereditary uh, powers and influences. I won't go into them today around my life that definitely were in my dad and mum respectfully, but it came from the genealogy that way. So that's hereditary. That's one way. Okay, here's the other way where I and you, we open up the door our own life, in our own life. We open up that door. Um, the Bible says, do you remember that? Uh, I think it's Ephesians 4, 27. It says, don't give the devil a foothold. Now, remember, he's talking to Christians. A lot of people say, oh, we're covered with the blood. We don't have to worry about these things. No, no, no. Understand the word of God. Don't give the devil a foothold was actually talking to the Ephesians church. The word foothold means position to operate from. Okay, so how they start. All right, so we're back into it. The first one, we'll call this area, the first stage, we'll call it the non-resistant stage. Can you say non-resistance? Oh my goodness. And that's when the thought comes. We decide that we're not going to resist it. Or maybe you started off resisting it, but like I said, it wears you down. It begins to pull you down over a period of time. Word of God says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But we failed in the first stage to resist it. The wild imaginations came. The accusations came. The suspicions came. And rather than giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, you allowed yourself to entertain it. And you began subject to that. And now that thing's got a foothold or a dominion around your life. It works in every area. Jealousy, pride, fear is one. Anxiety and worry, you name a sin. And I'm telling you, when it doesn't get resisted and it's engineered by darkness, in other words, it's not spawned from our human soul like that. It's engineered by an outside force and it does the thinking for you. It puts the suggestion into your mind that you'll never be married. You're useless. Look at your grandfather. Look at your cousins. Look at others. Look how well they're doing. But look at you. And you don't actually look great. We begin to buy in and listen to these thoughts, and we didn't resist it. So that's the first stage of a bondage hooking up to our life and attaching itself to our soul is we failed to aggressively resist it. It says, remember, resist the devil. In other words, in Jesus Christ's name, I refute that. I command that dream to go, that filthy, vile dream to go. There's no truth in that dream. Uh, it could be like those fearful thoughts about being alone. I resist those in Jesus' name. I will be married. I will be educated. I will get the breakthrough. I will be wealthy. I will be healthy. I am not going to die of cancer. Just because auntie died of cancer and granddad died of cancer, it doesn't mean that I've got it inside my colon. I resist that in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to resist the thoughts of poverty. We could have a thoughts like, oh my goodness, our economy could uh, break all over the place and, and, then, and then, then my life is just, what's going to happen? No, God will resurrect you. God will bless you in the times of trial and trouble. That's His mandate for your life, prosperity and good health in that sense. In James 1, 14 and 15, it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
That's the first one is the non-resistance stage. The second stage, can you say this? Entertainment stage. Let's say that together. Entertainment stage. Instead of resisting, we become curious. And we find a strange drawing to this thing. Uh, a drawing towards the suggestions and the temptations and the ideas. Perhaps we didn't uh, initially resist it, but over time we've decided to cave in. Yeah, what would it be like married to her? Hey, what would happen if I did leave my husband? He, what's the ramifications? You know, how, how would this thing work? Could, could we actually have a future together? That's adultery. And what happens is we finally give in. That's the problem. We give into these thoughts and we begin to allow those thoughts to own us. Do you remember uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Do you remember it says, how is this that you have agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit? How is it that you have agreed together? This is the agreement stage. This is the, and I want to put this word out to you. This is the allowance stage. The entertainment is the allowance stage. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, you do yourself a disservice when you do not ruthlessly come against these thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God, bringing captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. And we allow ourselves, it's a bit like the guy in the boxing match, that the, it goes ding and he gets out there and he becomes very passive. Spiritual warfare is about territory. It's not passivity. And it's passive. He's just bashed around, beaten around, bashed around, beaten around, holding his gloves up. And then it goes, ding, you go back into your place. That's how many Christians live their lives. Passive Christianity. I'm telling you, God wants to raise up a brand spanking new generation of people that know their authority in God, that won't take no for an answer, that understand the principles of destiny and inheritance and begin to take the devil by the throat. The Word of God talks about spiritual violence and taking it by force. But what's happened is this. We've got this nice, graced out, excessive grace attitude where everybody's just loving each other and high-fiving each other, and, but we've got to address the real issues. There are some people tormented. There are some people in bondage, and we're not even recognizing it. Some of our kids are demonized and we're not even recognizing they're in bondage. But I'm telling you, if we've got real compassion, not soulless compassion, if we've got God's love for goodness sake, His love, we will want to set people free. And we won't shy away from the deliverance ministry and, and excuse it in some corner. It's a confrontational. If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus Christ had a compassion ministry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He set the captives free. And as Christians, it's not just about Jonathan laying hands on you or another minister or somebody laying hands on you. It's about you rising up in the name of Jesus Christ and putting your hands in your heads and say, I'm not going to be subject to apathy and laziness and slothfulness anymore. I'm not going to be a subject to this unforgiveness. I forgive the world. I forgive her. I let them go. I'm not going to be subject to these lustful imaginations, these perverse thoughts that come, but I'm going to rise up because when we don't rise up, it strips us of our manhood. It strips us of our womanhood. You understand that? When we go down, we sink down and we live a defeated life. We love Jesus, absolutely, but you're about a million miles away from your destiny. I don't believe, I don't believe that you can really have a major breakthrough outside until you have inside broken through. The external is a manifestation of the internal. You start, God does a work inside you so that he can do a work through you. Some of us have to overcome rejection. And thoughts like, this is a thought. Oh, I don't need a man. 
Oh, don't you? <laughs> but some girls talk like I don't need a man. Some guys say, I don't need a woman. Oh, yes, you do. It's not good for a man to be alone. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. First stage, resisting, non-resistant. Second stage, entertainment stage. The third stage is the consideration stage. We now consider it. Can you say the word consideration? This is where we begin to consider it. What will be happening if I do this? Ha. Huh. In John 13, 2, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Notice the process though, guys. He puts it in his mind. He puts it in his heart. And it would have been like, what would it be like to have 30 pieces of silver? That could do me well. We know he was a thief anyway. He'd put it into his heart. And later on, it says Satan entered him. But if you trace Judas's life, you'll see a progress and a process of the enemy coming around his life. He didn't resist. He started to do the stuff. Then Satan's beginning to enter his soul. And then he actually outworks the imaginations. Wow, that's a consideration stuff. This is the justification stage. This is the argument stage. Yeah, well, actually, I, I deserve that 25000 I think we should just go get it. It's in the bank sitting there. I'll talk to my sister. She works there. We need it. We don't need, oh, we can do this. I think we can get away with this. And it's now we've got into agreement. I'm going to go thump that person over. I'm going to go get them. I need some friends, but a few of us will go around and we're going to flay him on the front lawn in front of his wife, in front of his family. What, we've now gone into the agreement stage. It's the consideration stage. What will happen? What will the police say? It's now worth it. It's, re, you know, it's kind of like, let's have a go. Let's do this thing. We've grown a giant. This is real stuff. And then the, the last stage here is the last stage is called the stage of conception. Can you say conception? We're birthing stuff. This is the stage where the decision has made. I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving my wife. I'm going. This is the stage where I'm going to leave home now. 15 years of age in rebellion. I'm out the door. I'm going tonight. I'm packing. I'm taking off. My mates will pick me up at one in the morning. In Genesis 3, 6, when we talk about Eve, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. See the process. God had already spoken to them not to. The enemy came in and said, I want you to. He got a quick buy-in. And understanding these processes, they can happen real quick. They can happen over months. Lust, fantasy. Sexual imaginations. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to elevate myself. I'm going to reach the stars of the sky. I'm going to do this. Nothing other than good old-fashioned pride. Ego comes out of a root of rejection. We, can't, we think it's the call of God. No. It's a spirit power that's come into our life. Here's how the bondage forms. Stage one. Stage two. That's it. That's all it is. That's where a bondage is right there. Stage one, we don't resist it. Stage two, we entertained it. That's the bondage. And it's not going to be long before you outwork your bondage. Seriously. That's how that thing works. Over a process at a period of time, when it come to pass, you will outwork what's inside you. For a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
you will outwork. So, you know, when a guy is watching, let me pick on this area, guys watching pornography all the time, given the situation, you do what you saw. That's how the thing works. Okay, I'm going to give you one, one, one tip of how to get free. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. To root out, pull down, throw down. Be ruthless. Starve it, man. Starve it. Okay, here's, here's the thing. Number one is you need to confess it. Confess it to someone and God. Empty your world out. Empty it out. Don't hide that stuff. You see, the devil thrives or, or the strongholds are erect around the principles of secrecy. Very important principle. That's where we empower darkness as we keep themselves in secrecy because of shame. Remember, this, in a marriage, a seat of secrecy is the seat of separation. You might be united together and one by virtue of the covenant you made, and everything else that goes on there, but your soul is separated because there's no talking, no sharing. You need to cut clean and share and talk and get the stuff out. But you ready? Not out in a blaming way, not out in a non-taking responsibility way, a way that says, this is what I'm going through. This is where I'm at. I want some help. And some of us guys are the worst at it. Some of you girls have got a head start, but we don't like to tell our wives that we're discouraged or down or depressed or we're feeling like leaving, we're feeling like getting out of there, that we've been subject to these wild thoughts and imaginations. We don't like to say that. It's embarrassing and it robs us of our, our kind of like our macho thing, but we have to do it. In uh, James 5, 16, it says, Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. In other words, the healing is traced back to the confession. When you go to before the Lord and you say, God, help me. I want your help. I confess it to you as sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins time and time and time again. But you still can be in bondage. You need to go to somebody else, a trusted brother or sister, and go before them and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what's happening in my world right now. I need help. This is robbing me. And please don't try and go your battles alone. Some of us, oh no, I'll be right. And we get into this argument, which is a high place, that says that, oh, I'll be fine. It's not that bad after all. It's just imaginations that come. No, it's robbing you. And if I want to take your life, and then I want to take the fruit around your life and put them together, the reason why there's no fruit and breakthrough is because we're bound in our city. God wants to set us free. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.atonga.com. Until next time.